You're listening to the expository preaching ministry of Kootenai Community Church, located in Kootenai, Idaho. We pray that Christ is exalted and your spirit is blessed by the teaching of God's Word. For more information about Kootenai Church, please visit us online at kootenaichurch.org. Philippians chapter 1, please. Philippians chapter 1. And we'll read together beginning in verse 18, and I'll read through the end of verse 26. What then? Only that in every way, whether in pretense or in truth, Christ is proclaimed, and in this I rejoice. Yes, and I will rejoice, for I know that this will turn out for my deliverance through your prayers and the provision of the Spirit of Jesus Christ according to my earnest expectation and hope that I will not be put to shame in anything, but that with all boldness Christ will, even now, as always, be exalted in my body, whether by life or by death. For me to live is Christ, and to die is gain. But if I am to live on in the flesh, this will mean fruitful labor for me, and I do not know which to choose. But I am hard-pressed between both directions, having the desire to depart and be with Christ, for that is very much better. Yet to remain on in the flesh is more necessary for your sake. Convinced of this, I know that I will remain and continue with you all for your progress and joy in the faith, so that your proud confidence in me may abound in Christ Jesus through my coming to you again. Let's bow our heads in prayer. Our Father, we love your word, and we have sung to you this morning our hearts' expressions of praise and adoration. We thank you that we have this privilege of worship, but now it is time for us to bow our hearts and our minds before your word and to be humbled by it, to be encouraged by it. But we need your ministry to us in the person of the Spirit of God to come and illuminate your word to us and teach us, we ask, through this passage, many things about yourself, our salvation, and the great glory that awaits us. We thank you for your goodness, and we ask your blessing on this time now. In Jesus' name, amen. We've been talking in the last few weeks on the subject of living and dying, life and death, and I hope it hasn't been discouraging or depressing for you, but somewhat encouraging at least, as we look at these different options of lying and die, living and dying, and what is our motive for living, and what is our motive for dying? What do we look for, forward to in living, and what should we look forward to in dying? And we're going to continue on that subject matter this morning, because Paul's not quite done with this subject of life and death and those two options in Philippians chapter 1. So you have your Bible open to that passage. We're going to be looking at verses 22 through 26 this morning, and I'm going to give you in a moment an outline of those verses, but before I do, I I just want you to picture an, an imaginary scenario in your mind with me. It's a scenario, I want you to put yourself in Paul's place, or at least in the place where Paul very well could be within the next couple weeks or months or even days when he writes the book of Philippians. And here it is. I want you to put yourself out on the a roadside outside of the city of Rome, and there is a a blood-stained stump there where countless people have been executed. And your neck now is lying across that blood-stained stump. And over you stands a big-armed, well-defined, piped guy holding an executioner's axe. It is freshly polished, it is nicely sharpened, and it is well-worn. And your head is on the stump, and he asks you this question. 
Because he's heard about you. He's heard your testimony. The whole Praetorian Guard has heard about your captivity for the cause of Christ. And people have been talking. Some of them have heard you give your testimony. Some of them know very well what it is that you believe. And this executioner does. And so he says to you, now you understand that with this axe raised above your head, the minute the axe comes down, that your head goes off. You understand that? Yes. When your head goes off, you believe that you are going to leave here and you are going to go to the presence of this man that you worship, you call your Savior. Is that true? Yes. And you believe that your sins are all forgiven and that all that awaits you is eternal life. Is that true? Yes. So when I lower the axe and the axe comes down and your head goes off, you go immediately to the presence of unexplicable bliss, pleasure, joy, rest, glory, grace with countless millions of others. Is that what you believe? Yes. Final question. Do I bring the axe down? Yes or no? Do or don't? Yay or nay? You give the word. The choice is yours. What's it going to be? Now what do you say to that? You curious at all to know what Paul would say? You know, he answers that question in Philippians chapter 1 and the passage that I just read to you. He gives us the answer of what he would say if he had that choice, if the choice was up to him. What's interesting about the passage is this. Choice isn't up to Paul, isn't it? But yet he wrestles back and forth with these two options as if he really has the choice to make a decision one way or the other. Do I depart or do I stay here? Do I go to be with Christ or do I stay with you? Should I leave? Should I stay? Should I live? Should I die? Hmm... Which do I choose? The wonderful thing about the passage wasn't even Paul's choice. Just like he throws out this hypothetical situation as if he really could make the decision. Ultimately, it would be Nero's choice. Because death is a very real possibility for Paul. That's why he's wrestling through these issues of living and dying. We're kind of curious creatures, aren't we, as humans? Do you think a lot about your death? Do you really give it a lot of thought? How much a day? Five minutes? Ten minutes a day? An hour a day? Do you think about the possibility of the fact that you're going to die? As human beings, we know absolutely one thing for certain. There is one thing about the future that we know absolutely for certain. What is it? That I'm going to die. Yet that is the one thing that we avoid talking about, avoid thinking about, avoid planning for, avoid meditating on. It's the one thing we know for certain our future holds, and it's the one thing that we spend no time talking about. We avoid it like it's the plague. We don't want to talk about it. We don't want to think about it. Run into somebody at work tomorrow morning while you're at work and say, hey, let's sit down and talk about the day you're going to die. What's that going to be like? What do you think is going to happen? And see where they go with that. They don't want to talk about it. They don't want to think about it. They'd rather pound nails. They'd rather dig a ditch. They'd rather involve themselves in paperwork. They don't want to discuss it. Curious, isn't it, how we as human beings do that? We know one thing for certain, and that's the one thing we don't want to think about. Well, Paul knows it for certain. It's a real possibility for him. So he's kind of kicking around these options. Now let me give you the division, or sort of an outline for verses 22 through 26. Paul does two things here. First of all, he sort of presents us with this dilemma, verses 22, 23, and 24. Read those again with me. But if I am to live on in the flesh, this will mean fruitful labor for me, and I do not know which to choose. But I'm hard-pressed from both directions, having the desire to depart and be with Christ, for that is very much better. Yet to remain on in the flesh is more necessary for your sake. That's the dilemma. Do I choose this, or do I choose this? 
Then he kind of gives us his decision in verses 25 and 26. Convinced of this, I know that I will remain and continue with you all for your progress and joy in the faith so that your proud confidence in me may abound in Christ Jesus through my coming to you again. That's the dilemma and the decision. So that's kind of the outline. Now, I want to tell you something. We're not going to be able to deal with the whole passage today. You kind of suspected I was going to say something like that, didn't you? We're not going to be able to deal with that whole passage today. We're going to split it into two. But these verses present us with a subject that we're going to begin with next week. And it's something that we haven't talked about in quite a while, actually. Uh, don't remember the last time we discussed this, but it's been a while. So we're going to bring it up because there's verses in this passage that have the bearing on this issue. And here's the question. What happens right after we die? Are we alert? Are we awake? Are we cognizant? Do we know what's going on? Or do we go into a state of sleep? Do we go into what's called soul sleep? Seventh-day Adventists believe in soul sleep. Do we go out of extinction or into extinction for a period of time until the resurrection? Or do our souls fall asleep? And are we unconscious until the day of resurrection? What happens? We're going to deal with that issue next week. And we're going to look at Paul's decision that he makes. But today we're just going to tackle the dilemma. Now I want to tell you, there's, there's something kind of awkward about the passage that we just looked at, this whole dilemma, and this is it. Paul's not very good with his grammar in this passage. It doesn't come out in the English because the English kind of makes it flow really, really easily. The Greek doesn't flow very easily. You can see the Apostle Paul kind of bantering back and forth and he hesitating. And you know how it is when you have two things that you're kind of considering that you start talking about one sentence, but before you finish that, you've got to talk about the... Well, I could go back to this one here, but the, well, this has this and X and Y, and well, this one has this. In your mind, you do that. This is what Paul's doing in paper. It's really sort of a hesitating, vacillating from this to that and from this to that. Have you ever seen Fiddler on the Roof? Where Tevier is wrestling with the decision, do I hold on to my tradition and let go, lose my family? Or do I hold on to my family and lose my tradition? And so he has these scenes where he kind of banters back and forth. And he says, on the one hand, I have X, Y, and Z. And on the other hand, I've got A, B, and C. And on the other hand, there's this, this, and this. And on the other hand, there's that, that, and this. And on the other hand, he's got five or six or seven hands. And he goes back and forth between the two. That's what Paul's like. He's like Tevle. He just, it, it, it just banters back and forth. And the grammar kind of shows that. It's a real vacillating, hesitating type of thing. You're going to see him go back and forth between these two options. Because he really is hard-pressed. He doesn't know which one to choose. Do I live or do I die? Now, this is not the first time that the Apostle Paul has brought up the subject of living and dying. He saw it in verse 18. Whether I live or whether I die, Christ will be glorified in my body. Verse 21, which we looked at last week, to live is Christ and to die for me is gain. Now, verse 22 sort of springs out of verse 21. If to live is Christ and to die is gain, then what will living and dying look like for me? That's what 22, 23, and 24 Explain, what is living to look like and what is dying to look like? Verse 22, But if I am to live on in the flesh, then this will mean fruitful labor for me, and I do not know which to choose. But I'm hard-pressed from both directions, having the desire to depart and be with Christ, for that is very much better. To die is gain, but if but if I am to live on in the flesh, Paul says, and by flesh he doesn't mean sin, he doesn't mean our flesh, our sinful nature, He doesn't mean our sinful body that he's talking about. It's not a moral quality that he's addressing. Paul simply says, if I live on in this sphere where I'm in this body, in this tent, if I'm going to live on here in the flesh instead of going to be with the Lord, then that is going to mean for me, Paul says, fruitful labor. Notice what the Apostle Paul does not say. 
Notice that the Apostle Paul does not say, if I am to live on in the flesh, it's going to mean for me retirement. After five years in prison, all of the hostility of the Jews, the beating in the temple, all of the miscarriage of justice, all of the hostility and the opposition that I have faced from every corner and every segment of society, I have preached myself empty, I have written myself empty, I have done enough. When I am done, if I am to live on in the flesh, it means retirement for me. That's it. I'm going to buy an RV, I'm going to tour Greece, I'm going to go and visit all the places that I've always wanted to see, but I've never been able to see because I've had enough. Notice Paul doesn't say that. What does he say? 65-year-old man in the last 30 years of his life has been anything but a cakewalk, and what does he say? If I am to live on, it means labor. I'm going back to work. I'm hitting the road again. I'm going to travel, I'm going to write, I'm going to preach, I'm going to teach, I'm going to plant churches and visit believers and strengthen the disciples. I'm going right back into everything that I've been doing all the way through the book of Acts that we saw Paul involved in. It's going to mean labor. But not just vain labor, not empty labor, but what kind of labor? Fruitful labor. And do you notice how Paul says it? It's going to mean fruitful labor for me. In the Greek, Paul doesn't say it's going to be, it's going to mean my fruitful labor. And he doesn't say my fruit and he doesn't say my labor. He says fruitful labor for me. And the way he de- describes it and the words that he uses actually indicates that Paul in his mind doesn't think that either the labor is his or that the fruit is his. He says if I live on in the flesh, God is going to give me as a result of my labor fruit. And he's going to give me work to do. And out of that work as I labor, but it's not really me who labors, is it? Is it you that labors, or is it God that labors through you? For God is in you both to will and to work for His good pleasure. You say, I labor. Yeah, you do. But it's not your work that you're involved in. That's what Paul's indicating. It's not my work. It's God's work. I participate in it, and God gives me the fruit. Now, who bears the fruit in your Christian life? Who bears the fruit for your service to the Lord? You or the Lord? Whose fruit is it? Who produces the fruit? Do you produce the fruit? You don't produce the fruit. Vines don't, branches don't produce fruit. Vines produce fruit that hangs on the branches. John chapter 15. That's what Paul is saying. It's going to mean fruitful labor for me. That God is going to give me fruit through the labor that He does, and the fruit is going to hang there. And listen, you can produce fruit from your works of service for the Lord. You can produce lots of fruit. It'll all rot on the vine before judgment day, but you can produce lots of fruit. There's only one kind of fruit that lasts all the way through to the day of Christ and that you will see beyond the day of Christ that will last for all of eternity. And you know what that fruit is? That's the fruit that God produces and that God gives you as a result of your labor. The fruit is not yours. It's the gift of God. We are His workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works which He prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. The works have already been prepared. The deeds have already been lined out for us to do. And we do them. And it's not we who do them. It's God who works in us to accomplish the fruit and then He rewards us for the fruit that He gives us. Isn't that gracious? To reward us for the... That's like hiring somebody to do a job and the guy shows up and and you animate him and do everything for him and then you set him down and after he, he has built something which you actually built because you were moving his hands and feet, you set him down and you give him a paycheck. That's the fruit of our labor. It's God's work that He's given us to do and we do it. Him doing it through us. He gives us the fruit. The fruit lasts for eternity and we get the reward knowing that we haven't labored or toiled in vain. So if I live on in the flesh, it's going to mean fruitful labor. So here's my options. To die is gain. 
To live in the flesh is fruitful living or fruitful labor. Hmm, which one do I choose? Which one do I want? Do I want the death which is gain or do I want the gain of the fruitful labor? Which one's better? Well, Paul says, I don't know. I don't know which one to choose. And here we get into one of those grammar situations where it's kind of difficult to translate. Your New Testament, your translation probably says, I do not know which one to choose. The word I do not know there is gnozo, which doesn't really mean not knowing or knowing something. It's used uh, 26 times in the New Testament, 18 by Paul. And the word is used usually in a very solemn sense of something that God makes known to us. He makes known to us the mystery of the gospel, makes known to us the mystery of his will, makes known to us the mystery of the church, makes known to us the riches of his power and his glory and his grace. It is something that somebody makes known to somebody else. Usually in the New Testament, it's used of God making something known to us, gnozo. So it doesn't really mean knowing something, but rather making something known to somebody else. So although it's translated, I do not know which to choose, it would probably better be rendered, I don't know what to tell you or to reveal to you about my choice. And it seems as if what Paul has in mind is, the Lord has not revealed to me which one to choose, so I don't know what to tell you about the choice that I have to make. In other words, I have no word from God on this. I have these two choices and God hasn't shown me, revealed to me, or told me which one to choose, which means that the decision is completely Paul's. And now you understand why he's wrestling with it. This is why it's so difficult. If the Lord had said, Paul, these are your two choices, this is the one I want you to choose, then there would be no dilemma, would there? There would be no wrestling with it. Paul would say, okay, that's the Lord's will. He revealed it. I'm going to do it. But Paul doesn't have a clear word from God. So he says, I I don't know what to make known to you about my choice. It hasn't been made known to me. So it's completely in my ballpark. This is completely my decision to make. I have no word from God on this. This is why it's so difficult. I don't know which one to choose. So Paul says, look at verse 23, I am hard pressed from both directions, having the desire to depart and be with Christ, for that is very much better. Since I don't know which one to choose, I'm hard pressed. The word literally means to close something, to enclose or to press in on it in order to hold something together. And the word oftentimes in the New Testament really has the idea of being constrained or controlled or dominated by something. As in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 14, where Paul says, the love of Christ constrains us. It hard presses in and closes around us. It dominates me. It controls me. I think that's the idea here. I am hard pressed. I am dominated or controlled by both of these desires. I have the desire to depart and to be with Christ. And I have the desire to remain on in the flesh. To depart and to be with Christ is far better for me. To remain on in the flesh means fruitful labor. The Lord has not told me which one of these I am to choose. And so I am constrained by both of them. Like walking through a narrow gorge where you have rock on both sides and you're pressed up on both and you can just barely make your way through. You're hard pressed. You claustrophobics are getting starting to sweat right now. You're hard pressed between both of them constrained or controlled, and neither one can you break free of. You can't break free of the desire to stay here. Why? Because you want the fruitful labor. And you can't break free of the desire to go to be with Christ. Why? That's far better. So which one do I choose? You say, Paul, isn't there one of those? 
that you desire just a little bit more than the other. Just a little, just a smidgen. If you evaluate both of them, isn't there one where you can say, this one weighs 51%, this one weighs 49%? No. I'm controlled by both of them. Let me tell you something. That is the dilemma that every Christian should find themselves in. That's it. And maybe the last couple weeks you started to think to yourself, boy, if I have any desire to stay here at all, I must be wacky. If I have any desire to live on in the flesh, I must be in sin. No, no. No, not at all. That's a legitimate desire. The desire to be with Christ and the desire to stay here. And they're both there. Intention. I, I, I want both of these. I don't know which one to choose. I'm hard-pressed between them. Controlled by both of them. I can't break free from either desire enough to say this is the one that I'm going to choose. So what does Paul do? He's hard-pressed between this desire and the term that he uses for desire there, to desire to depart and be with Christ, is a term that oftentimes in the New Testament was used of, of, uh, des- of illicit desires, immoral desires, wrongful desires, desiring something that is forbidden, this, this lust, this passion. Paul doesn't use it in a negative sense here. He uses it in a positive sense. I have this, this consuming passion that goes through every part of my being to depart and to be with Christ. Now notice that when Paul says depart, he wants to depart and to be with Christ. What is it that Paul longs for? Is Does he long for release from suffering? No. I could not, in the course of this week, come up with any place in the New Testament, anywhere in Paul's writings, I couldn't think of a single place in the New Testament where Paul said this, you know what, I just want to be free from the suffering. He did say the sufferings are not worthy to be compared with the glory, but never once did he say, look, I just want to die to be free from suffering. Never said that. Not that I know of anyway. He never said, I want to be, I want to die so I can leave this earth. Or I want to die so that I don't have to worry about the toil and the temptations and the trials of this life. I want to die so that I don't have to suffer disease and the heartache and the tears. He doesn't say that. What does he say? I want to depart to be with Christ. See friends, hold in clarity in your mind the two things that Paul is wrestling with. It's not a conflict between heaven and earth. It's not a conflict between holiness and sin. It's not a conflict between time and eternity. It's a conflict between serving Christ here and fellowshipping with Christ in eternity. That's the conflict. Which one do I desire more? Serving Him here or fellowshipping with Him in eternity? Well, I'm hard-pressed on both sides. I don't know which one to, de- to desire. I don't know which one to choose. Look at verse 23 again. I'm hard-pressed from both directions, having the desire to depart and be with Christ, for that is very much better. Very much better. Paul uses two, three superlatives in that sentence. Not just better. Much better. Well, that's not enough. Very much better. You ever get a letter written from somebody where they write out a sentence and they put a little sort of little insert mark and they write up a, a word or a phrase above it? I can almost picture the Apostle Paul doing that with the letter. It's, it's much better. It's better. No, insert much better. No, insert very much better. It's sort of heaping on these superlatives. Don't you think the Apostle Paul would know that? How would he know that? 2 Corinthians chapter 12, the Apostle Paul says, I was given a thorn in the flesh because at one time I was taken up into heaven. Now whether I was in the body or out of the body, I don't know. But I do know what I saw and I do know what I heard. I heard words that a man is not permitted to repeat. And Paul says, I was caught up into glory and I saw things there 
And I heard things there. And now he's back here in Rome writing to the Philippians saying essentially this. I've been here and I've been there. And I'm telling you something. There is very much better. Not just better, friends. Very much better. He knew this from experience. He had been here. He had been there. And Paul says, if I have to weigh heaven and earth, it's no contest. It's heaven. I don't want the earth. But what is it that he struggles with? Fellowship with Christ there. Service for Christ here. The fruitful labor. So which do you choose? How are you going to make that choice? Well, if going to be with Christ is very much better, then that answers it, doesn't it? You're back to the executioner. Bring it down, keep it up. Yes or no? Yay or nay? Do or don't? Give me the word. It's your choice. Take your head off or leave it on. What do you say? Now, if you say, don't, wait, no, stop. If you say that, then I ask you this question. What possible justification do you give for telling him to stop? What possible justification do you give for choosing this disease-infested, tear-filled veil of tears to the glories of eternity? What reason do you give? What justification do you give for saying to the executioner, don't? What are you going to tell him? When he puts the axe down and he unties you and you stand up and he says, why didn't you want me to bring the axe down on your neck? If all of that is waiting for you, if it's far better, then the choice is made. The decision is made. There's no dilemma. Paul, if that's far better for you, then you choose heaven. You say, bring down the axe. But hold on a second. There's something else to consider. It's verse 24. And here you get Tevle again, back and forth, right? I go, much gain, fruitful labor, be with Christ far better. But, verse 24, yet to remain on in the flesh, here we are with the flesh option again, to remain on in the flesh is more necessary for your sake. For your sake. Now friends, I love this. I love verse 24. I have this choice. For me... This is far better. But, it's not all that I factor into my decision. For your sake, to remain on the flesh, for me, is more necessary. And here you see the heart of a, the heart of the apostle, the heart of a pastor, a pastor's heart coming through. He has his subjective desires, right? I want to depart and to be with Christ. But then he looks at the Philippian congregation, he says, they have an objective need. If I leave now, it's not best for them. It might be best for me, but it's not best for them. So I look at their needs and I say, they're not ready for me to leave yet. For your sakes, it's better for me to stay in the flesh. It's better for me to stay here, to live here, to serve you, than it is for me to go. Because although for me it's better to depart and be with Christ, for you it's better if I stay here. So what does Paul choose? Do you know what comes into the equation? Do you know what the deciding factor for the Apostle Paul is? It's not his own desires, friends. It's the objective needs of the Philippian congregation. We're going to get to it in a little while. Chapter 2, verse 4, where the Apostle Paul says, you look out not only for your own interests, but also for the interests of what? Whom? Others. Do you see what Paul is doing in chapter 1? If it was just Paul's own interest, decision is made. Bring down the axe. Let her fly. Let the chips fall where they may. No pun intended. If it's not just Paul's decision to make, then he has to weigh something else. 
But I've got the Philippians to think about. And I can't just look out for my own interests. I have to also consider the interests of others. I'm not here for myself. I don't live for myself. I don't die for myself. As long as I live on in the flesh, I live for others. Now, if it's just me, the decision is easy. But when you bring the Philippians into it, that's when it gets hard. Because my labor and fruitful labor in the flesh is for your sake. The departing into being with Christ is my sake. And here's what the Apostle Paul does. He says, this is for your sake and this is for my sake. I'm going to take what I desire and I'm going to put it down here and I'm going to put your interests up above mine. And since I'm convinced of this, I wish we had the time to go into verses 25 and 26. Since I'm convinced of this, that it's more necessary for your sake to remain on, Paul says, I'll remain on. Let me ask you a question. Do you make decisions that way? Just take a second and look around this room at all of your brothers and sisters in Christ. No eyes up here. Just look down the... Look around. Okay, now eyes back up here. Do you ever in the course of decision making ask yourself this question? What would be best for my brothers and sisters in Christ? What would be best for my brothers and sisters at Kootenai Community Church? I have a job that I could take. I could do this or I could do this. Maybe it means moving from this area. Maybe it means moving to another church. Do you ever look around and say, what was best for these guys? If I remain on or if I leave? Do you factor in your brothers and sisters in Christ when you make decisions? I start up a business. I take this job. I move to another city. Do you ever stop and say, hey, what's better for the people who sit in the pews in front of me and behind me? You say, is, does it really, do you really factor other people's decisions even into those most, or other people's feelings and interests even into the most seemingly minimal decisions that you make? And the answer is yes. Here Paul has a choice between life and death. How much grander does it get than that? And even in that decision, the Apostle Paul says, I would choose life because it's better for you if I live on. It might be better for me if I die, but what's better for me is not as important as what's better for you. You have to consider other people's interests ahead of your own. What do you say? And I don't mean this to be critical or cynical or judgmental or anything like that, but this just irks me. Do you know what the common... The common uh, Man, I was moving right along there for a second until I hit the word common. Do you know what the average stay of a pastor in a church is? It's less than five years. It's three years. Pastors move from church to church to church. Now I ask you this question. What does it say about a pastor's looking out for the interests of his flock if he's willing to move from congregation to congregation to congregation when studies show that it's not in the best interest of the people to have a new pastor every three years? Could I possibly decide to leave this job and take one that pays better in a better location or whatever without asking myself the question, hey, what's better to the people that I meet and worship with every Sunday morning? What's better for them? Does it really matter what's good for me? What's best for you? You can't make life's decisions without factoring in and saying, what is best for my brothers and sisters in Christ that I worship with and gather together with every Sunday morning? That's what it means to look out for the interests of others not just your own interests. He said, Jim, I thought you said to live is Christ. And now you're saying to live as others. That's the same thing. What did Christ do? He came not to be served, but to what? To serve and to give his life as a ransom for others. For many. So if I'm going to live Christ, it means serving others. And here's where the dilemma comes in. In order to serve others, I have to stay here. 
If I'm going to live, it means to live Christ, which to live Christ is to serve others. To serve others, I have to be here. So if I want to do what it is that God has called me to do, I have to be here. So my desire is to stay here. And my desire is to stay here for, for you. But, I also as a Christian want to depart and to be with Christ. Now, if you have both of those desires, then friends, you're in good company. The Apostle Paul was there too. I have this desire and I have this desire. I'm hard-pressed between the two of them. Which one should I choose? Hmm. What's best for me or what's best for them? It must be what's best for them. So I'll put what's best for me on the back burner and I will continue on in the flesh. Because from Paul's perspective, it was better for the Philippians if he remained on in the flesh. Even though it was better for him if he departed to be with Christ. So do you live for others that way? Do you ask yourself the question, why am I here and why am I living? Let's go back to the scenario that I opened up with. The executioner standing over you with the axe, shined, polished, sharpened, well-worn, and your head is on the bloody stump. And he brings it up and he says, yay or nay, yes or no, do or don't, you give me the word, you make the decision, what do you say? If you say don't, then let me tell you something. There is only one legitimate reason, only one legitimate excuse that you could give for saying no to Him. And that's this. I need to stay here for somebody else's sake. Did you catch that? I need to stay here because in my perspective, it's more necessary for somebody else. Now don't let your deceitful heart trick you into thinking that you're giving that reason while you're also, while you're really giving something else. Well, I want to provide for my kids. While you're heaping up this world's goods and doing everything you can to live for the moment. Or I need to be here for my wife while you're neglecting her and running off and spending time doing this, that, and the other thing and not taking care of business. Friends, there's only one legitimate reason that you can give for saying don't. And it is because for somebody else's sake, it's more necessary for me to be here. Not for my own sake. If it were up to me, the decision is made. I'm gonzo. But it's more necessary for me to stay on for somebody else. And that's what it means to consider other people as better than yourself. Let's pray. Father, we thank You for Your grace. We thank You for this passage of Scripture and for this even imaginary, imaginary dilemma that the Apostle Paul faced and the decision that he made and God, I pray that You would give to us the grace to consider the interests of others first as primary, not our own interests, not our own bottom line, not our own portfolio, not our own well-being, but the interest of others. And in living for the interests of others, we might live Jesus Christ. To have Him is to have everything. To live as Him, to die as gain. And Lord, we ask that You give us the grace to live for others. In Jesus' name, Amen. Thank you for listening to the latest podcast from Kootenai Church. If you'd like to learn more about Kootenai Church or to donate to our church ministry, you can do so online by visiting KootenyChurch.org. We hope you enjoyed this podcast and pray you'll join us again next time. Once again, thank you for listening.